this Sentra feel like a compromise to you? Watch this. Welcome on in to the Tony Parks Podcast. Thanks so much for being with us here today. The Utah Jazz, even out their record at 2-2 two and two since being in the bubble. Some good, some bad, some fixable, some not so sure. But overall, a few things the Jazz fans should feel great about going forward. We're going to get to that here today. Thanks so much for being with us. You can follow us on all forms of social media at Tony Parks 801. You can email me, TonyParks801 at gmail.com. And as always, thank you for tuning in, whether it be on Spotify, Google Play, iTunes, Stitcher, and more. You can always hear the show on the Utah Podcast Network. Before I get to the conversation involving Mike Conley, let me first go back and touch on the game against the Grizzlies, Mike's former team. Uh, first of all, for people like myself, real quickly, the white jersey and solid jersey thing goes a really long way for me. So when watching games on TV, when both teams will go with jerseys that are, are uh, solid color, but or, or if they happen to be somewhat similar, it can be really tough to differentiate the teams. Uh, from the time that I was very, very young, I mean, I, I'm a, a color deficient. I'm not color blind. There is a difference. Uh, but being color deficient, some colors are very difficult to differentiate while watching on a TV screen. The weird thing is, in person, I would probably be able to just see the difference between the two. But, like, watching it on the screen was actually a little tougher than I wanted it to be. So, uh, at a, a what, like, the, the, what, that video that you saw on Twitter? I was thinking about that. There's a quick video of uh, Joe Ingles stepping into the huddle of the Grizzlies. Well, I had to watch it a few times to realize there was a different player in the mix of the guys in the huddle. So, there was all this, you know, laughing about that tweet. And I watched it, and I'm like, what about it? What about it? And then I realized, oh, there's a jazz player in the middle there. Whereas if they're solid in white jerseys, I probably would have picked that up pretty quick. So the reason being is that the jerseys sometimes look too much alike at times for a guy like me. Um, now, I can tell the difference, but I usually have to look at it very close with two jerseys when you look at them up there on the screen. So when watching it on my TV sitting on my couch, it was actually frustrating because I would occasionally struggle. So that's when I had to just pull it up on my phone and watch it up close, uh, watch it you know close to my face so it wasn't so bad. It, and different colors will do it differently. Um, so what was it? Uh, the Jazz had a game against the Rockets years ago where the Jazz wore green and the Rockets wore red. I was dead. Absolutely brutal. Uh, I was working in the media room at the time, like when I would do just the sideline reporting. Uh, a lot of times I'd be in that media room because it was right by the locker rooms and things like that. Uh, this is before the renovation. And so I had to stop and step out and watch it live, which I know first world problems. But the reason why I had to watch it live is while watching it in the media room, it was just brutal. Uh, the Jets and Bills played like a Christmas Day game a few years ago where they wore green and red jerseys. Unreal. Couldn't watch it. And then the only other time I can remember, it hasn't happened too often, but one time Michigan played Tennessee in the Sweet 16. So now I've got, you know, one of my favorite teams involved. Michigan had the maize yellow jersey. Tennessee had the orange jerseys. And I was a disaster trying to follow it. Now, I, 
I would think Michigan had like just grabbed a rebound and now they're ready to take off and, and get up the floor for a fast break only to have it be an offensive rebound and a putback. And then I'm flailing my arms in the air because I'm, I'm frustrated because I didn't realize who grabbed the board. So it, it, it messes with your mind when you're trying to track the game. It was the worst. Um, and another weird part to that game. Here's a weird side story. Um, I run into, we were at Bear Lake of all places. I run into a random fan of the radio station at the time in a parking lot around Bear Lake. He just happened to know the only place I could go to watch the game. Uh, and when I got to this bar called Cooper's in Bear Lake West, uh, we were the only people in that bar until randomly Phil Johnson walks in, of all people. Uh, we're the only three people in this bar watching that game together. Uh, but I remember Phil Johnson looking at me like, are you okay? And I'm like, yes, I'm just frustrated that every single player out there on the floor looks like they play for the exact same team. So anyway, that's a quick side note on the jerseys. A lot of people were like, hey, I like that. And well, I liked it once I had pulled it up close so I could see who was on what team. Anyway, let's get a couple of thoughts on the Jazz recent game. They get the win over the Grizzlies and the Jazz had that minute or window of time where the defense was poor, right? And maybe the offense was a big part of that. And it happened in the first half. And it's cyclical. Some of it caused by the offense. Some of it caused by just bad job of executing on the defensive end. And I think Memphis had like 45 points in the first 16 minutes, which absolutely can't happen. Uh, the Jazz did a poor job defending Brooks there for a bit. They made the change. They, they corrected that. Um, but this is what has concerned me, not just in the bubble, but really all season long. I mean, I mean this Jazz team has prided itself on the defensive accountability in the Snyder era. They've built this team from being a 25-win dumpster fire uh, to becoming a team just on the outside looking in as one of those that could be, you know, be taken seriously as a contender in future postseasons. Uh, they built most of that on defense. Now, some of that has been taking place, like I said, because this team hasn't been great at taking care of the ball, and poor offense certainly can hurt defense in a number of ways. But that wasn't the case for all of those 16 minutes of that game to start. Since the start of the time in the bubble, no team has been worse at taking care of the ball than the Utah Jazz. They have been the highest turnover percentage team out of the 22. Now, I'm curious uh, if that is truly going to come around the way that fans have hoped and expected, meaning taking better care of the ball. Remember, this, this year they built more offense and that's what this team was going to be about, a step-forward offense, you know, maybe a big step-forward offense, a mild step-back defensively. Now, since the bubble has started, the Jazz are eighth on defense, right? But the concern to me is that they have a window of time where the defense isn't bad, it's awful, or the offensive problems are causing to awful defense. Whichever you want to go with, the bottom line is there's a window of time where this team puts themselves in a hole. Buckets coming way too easy for an opponent, uh, I think uh, Memphis, like in the blink of an eye to start the game, had 20 point paints, uh, or 20 paint points, I should say, and it was bad. You never want to see that. My expectation this year that they, is that they would still be a top 10-ish defense and be a great offensive team. That was kind of my expectation. They were 7th defensively in the first month and a half, 11th in the next month and a half. Not a problem, by the way. Like I said, that's what I thought they could or should be. And then the next month's time span, they fell to 29th. And they would have huge gaps during a game where you're like, what on earth is going on out there? So, uh, I'll give them credit. In this situation, though, they tightened it up big time. They had a big timeout that Quinn Snyder called. 
did a much better job against Brooks, seemed a lot more connected. They started to look more like that defense we thought they could be. Uh, Memphis scores like 10 points in the last eight minutes of that second quarter, went without a field goal for the final 456, and the Jazz go on a 25-3 run, put them ahead. They never trailed the rest of the way. It was 102-102 there at that one moment. And uh, Rudy Gobert got a couple of offensive rebounds, salvaged the possession, and Conley hit a three, and then they were never even tied at that point. Big shots, time and time again. Now, the Grizzlies have not been able to win in Orlando. They're without Jackson. This is a game you should win if you're Utah. But let's be honest, that looked to be in doubt in the early going. I was actually worried about whether or not they were going to respond the way that they did. And Jazz fans, you have every reason to have your concerns about what has happened, not just since the restart, but really all year long. And since the restart, like I said, they've they've dug a hole. They've been in the mid-teens every single game with trailing. Two of them against the bottom teams in the playoff race. They climbed out of both of those. Two of them against teams expected to do something in the playoffs. They did not climb out of those. Now, some of the good that has happened so far. Jazz started to hit some three-point shots. They hit 40%. That's awesome. The open shots have been there, too. Bowler mentioned in the broadcast they had like 31 wide-open threes in the game against the Lakers. That's awesome. Uh, They've continued to get to the free-throw line. That was something I thought that should be spotlighted more. They've hit 52 of their last 58, and that's in the last two games. That's great. The positive, also, is the starters have been great for the most time on the floor since the restart. Ingles, great with 25 points. Shot looked great. Rudy with 21 and 16. Donovan Mitchell's been fantastic. Well, the bad... The depth is going to be a problem for the rest of the year and into the playoffs. I just don't see that coming around to suddenly be a bright spot for the Jazz, and I'm very concerned that that unit uh, will not even be able to break even against playoff teams. Even when Clarkson has like a quality raw stat game, he's well into the negative. Now, to be fair to him, some of that is is what else is out there when he's on the floor. Uh, So just to be completely fair about that, but it's, you know, he's even had some cold shooting games or... Just the bottom line is that second unit has had a glaring problem. A glaring problem. Um, We mentioned no team worse at taking care of the ball than the Jazz since uh, the time in the bubble. Utah is 18th in defensive rebounding. I didn't expect that. They've been 18th offensively. And in every game, digging that hole has really caused a lot of stress on that team and certainly for the fan base. It's very hard dealing without Bogdanovich, but some of these issues, this is what's really, really tough. Some of the issues and the inconsistencies that existed on this team, and I broke some of those down uh, about the defense during the year, some of those existed before this team was without Boyan. So that's, I mean, that's just a reality. Now, let's get to the biggest positive, and that's the, the conversation here today. Mike Conley. I was thinking about this the other day, and I really enjoyed working as, a, as an MC at sporting events. Uh, You probably heard me on the radio during play-by-play or hosting a show, and I absolutely love doing that as well. But the one thing that I really loved about the difference in being an MC and working in game operations altogether, uh, the way that I did, was that it was more of a team sport. Now, hosting a radio show is also a team sport, and I loved all the teammates I worked with, but it's a team of three, right? Like a team of three or four. MCing a Bees game or a Jazz game is a sporting event, and it felt like a 25-person roster. Right? That's what it felt like. It felt like a game that we were all having to perform with. It was actually really fun and really special, and I enjoyed the challenge of working together and have it all come together. 
the music, the presentation, the timing, the delivery, the scheduling, the creativity, the selection of contestants, the organizing and scheduling before the game, the after-game conversations. I love the off-season to go with it, too. The off-season was fun. And the brainstorming, coming up with creative ideas. Like, all of this stuff was something I really enjoyed. Uh, I didn't enjoy it more than hosting a radio show. I just enjoyed it differently, right? Because it, it just kind of was a different challenge, and I loved it. Now, I did this far more often uh, with the Bees than I did the Jazz. I would fill in on a Jazz game here and there before 2018, but I ended up working a total of 1,003 Bees games, right? So I celebrated my 1,000th game right before the end of last season. So there, were, there was always an adjustment with new team members and things like that, but we always had a really good culture in place at the ballpark. Uh, Mark Amicone did a remarkable job uh, when looking at that. And we understood a lot of what everyone was going to be doing. So that everyday thing was cool. And so for all those years of being there, you just you had so many different habits that, that were deeply entrenched and a culture and an expectation night to night. Well, then in 2018, I was selected to MC the Jazz Games. And I was jacked about it, right? I knew a lot of the people that I was going to be working with, but I had never actually worked with them before. So knew them, worked around them, worked with them here and there, but that day-to-day sort of thing throughout a season, that hadn't happened. So I step in, and while things were good my first year, we had a lot of positives. There was still a ton I had a lot to learn. Not about, like, working an NBA game, not about emceeing, not about hosting a contest or, or having quality presentation. I had a ton to learn about the way the Jazz operated compared to the Bees. It wasn't bad. It just was really different. The lingo was different. Uh, a lot of the timing could be very different. Communication, things like that. So I remember one night they said I was going to be hosting a contest on the platform. Well, as a sideline reporter, the platform was going to be above the tunnel that people walk and run under. So I went to the platform. Well, their definition of the platform was in a completely different spot. Like they, they had like same word, different position. And that happened a number of times. Um, I remember one night I was set to do a contest, and it was at the end of a timeout. Uh, we were standing in one of the portals of the upper bowl. And so you probably, if you were at a jazz game, saw me like with a little fan or something, fan of the game, you know, things like that. And I could see while watching the clock and watching what else was going on because I was the last promotion of the timeout, okay? So you're reading the clock so you know how much time you actually have. And I could see we're somewhat running out of time. So I'm mentally preparing to make my presentation pretty quick. The whole time, the assistant, who's right there by me, uh, she's got a headset on, and she's listening to what's being communicated to her, right? And she looks at me and goes, we're going to push it. We're going to push it. And I'm like, great, great. I'm gearing up. I'm ready. I'm standing by. I have my cameraman. I have my contestant. I'm focused. Here we go. She Then you could tell she's getting something in her ear. She looks right at me again and goes, yeah, yep, we're going to push it. We're going to push it. I'm like, okay, okay, I'm ready. Let's go. Like, let's do it. And then we didn't do it. And I'm walking around like, well, what's going on? What are we doing? I thought we were going to push it. You said we're going to push it. So then I've got to hurry and walk towards my next promotion, right? Like I have to take off and get to my next um, uh, promotion that I was doing. Now, it might be a couple timeouts away, but I got to get in position. And another member of the game ops team, they chase me down the hallway, like totally chase me down the hallway. He's totally out of breath. He grabs me. He's like, well, where are you going? Where are you going? I'm like, well, what do you mean where am I going? I'm on to my next promotion. He goes, well, no, we, 
we have to come back and do this one. I'm like, what do you mean we're going to do this one? He says, we're going to push it to the next time out. Oh, so we're going to push it means we're going to postpone it to the next time out. At the ballpark, we're going to push it means, hey, we're going to squeeze this in. Be ready. Here we go. Right? So same words, same everything, totally different meaning. So I had to get used to that. That was really like, and it wasn't, like I said, nothing bad. It's just it comes with reps, time, interaction, going over stuff, watching film, all the same things that I would do during a year. So those are the simple things, but challenging things I would face throughout my first year. Um, I was used to speaking outside at the ballpark so I could hear myself, right? I knew my volume level really well. I had a good rapport with the, uh, the music guy. So even though there was a slight delay, I was used to it and I was comfortable. In the arena, obviously different, which I knew because you're inside compared to outside. But what I didn't know was that the sound in the arena travels in a very unique way. The uh, Vivint Smart of Arena and the way it was built, it's a long scientific discussion. But I had to learn the way that the sound traveled. I had to study it very dif- uh, deeply. So it's a totally different rhythm, cadence, and pacing now when I was emceeing a game in the arena. So mentally, so different transitioning from radio to ballpark to arena and making that mental transition while having so many habits that I was deeply entrenched with, um, it, it was a challenge. So towards the end of my first year and into my second year, much better operation overall. I was becoming much more acclimated to what I was doing. I had to learn very new and different habits. I wasn't getting rid of bad habits. I was just learning new and different good habits. Also, the team was getting more synced up, right? Uh, And we were really starting to become a big group of people moving and thinking as one. That's what we had at the ballpark. And that's what we were just starting to get uh, at the arena. And then we all know COVID hit and it changed all of our lives for sure. Uh, Even down to my very last promotion, long story, but the way we had to make a quick adjustment and we had to move on the fly um, right there towards the very end. I knew what somebody else was thinking and they knew what other people were thinking and we were all thinking the exact same thing at the exact same time and we all reacted a certain way because we were supposed to do the Phillips 66 ball toss. It changed like on a dime and the reason why is because they couldn't get the Phillips 66 ball toss, um, all the the balls that we were going to toss. We couldn't get them all cleaned up uh, because there was a certain protocol for that because of COVID. So you actually had protocols because of COVID but yet we still had, right, fans at games and things like that. So we couldn't get them wiped down in time, which, of course, with the the timing and and the way everything hit, it's totally understandable. So they moved it to the dance-off, where you would see everybody dancing around and somebody could win 250 bucks. Well, when they made that change, it's a long story, but to understand where each person was and all the adjustments that had to be made, I had to hurry and do it because there's no way Kara could have made it there in time. We all knew that at the exact same moment. So without any verbal interaction, I started running out of the locker room, down the hallway, around the corner, and no kidding, as I'm running there, the Toronto Raptors challenge a play, a coach's challenge. They challenge a play, and as I'm running, um, Carly, one of the women who uh, worked with the Game Ops crew, has my microphone in her hand as I grab it for her, walk right out on the court, jump right in front of a cameraman, deep inhale in the nose, deep exhale out the mouth, 
and then I hosted it. The only weird thing about that, which nobody would have noticed much, was you had a guy hosting the dance-off during International Women's Day. That was the only weird part about that. But the point is, long story short, that second year and late in that first year, this stuff started to come around. It was a great example of a team being really well mentally connected in the time of a quick change, quick communication, but it was an unspoken communication because we all were moving and thinking as one. It takes time to get there. And I feel like that's what's happened with Mike Conley here in the late part of the year for the Jazz. Throughout the year, when I've talked to him on and off the mic about playing on this team, he's usually said the same stuff. Genuinely likes playing with a group of guys. He's had to make some serious changes to some of the things that he does out there on the court. Most of what he's done has come with learning new and different but good habits. Um, when he was in Memphis, he had really good habits too, but they were different. So when he gets to Utah, he's got the mindset of doing so many things so differently And it's not that he's confused. It's about truly lining up your mind and body to do these things and react to them in a way that feels second nature. You have to remember, when you're doing something one way really well for 13 years, and now you're doing it very differently with a new team, it's not just that the new team makes it a unique transition. It's the way that a team does things. So when I started emceeing with the Jazz, some stuff came along easily, right? Like it was very similar to what we did at the ballpark. They loved it because those parts made the transition easy for everyone. And then other parts of it were brutally tough to change because my mind had trained itself doing things really well a different way for 13 years. So I'm sure some of this stuff has come along nicely for Mike, while other stuff has been brutally tough. Um, I actually had the chance to interact with Mike quite a bit during the Memphis part of his career uh, because I used to cover the road locker room for so many years uh, during the Jazz games. Um, He's an Ohio State guy. I'm a Michigan fan, so we had a little fun with that too. Uh, We'd talk some Big Ten hoops overall, things like that. It was fun. It was fun. I used to really look forward to seeing Memphis when they would come to town or when they would play the Jazz. Even when I was doing the home locker room, I would usually stop by before the game and say hello to him. So... When he was acquired by the Jazz, I was I was really excited to have him on the team, you know. And um, after one night in the locker room, uh, after an interview, he walked me through a situation, and it was a game a week, a few weeks before COVID hit, and he kept talking about helping when he shouldn't, and how it was negatively impacting the defense. Um, for 13 years, he saw something one way and was in a place on the floor. And when the other team did something, he was so used to reacting a certain way and helping. Now, all of a sudden with Rudy out there, the coaches had to keep talking to him about no longer helping in that situation. So he told me he would be like texting coaches late at night and going over certain plays, um, that he was watching from previous games. And he would even be like doubting it a bit saying like, are you sure I'm, I'm supposed to not help out here? Right. And the coaches would have to tell him, yes, that's correct. Get out of the habit of helping. Um, So I'm certain several of those moments happened on offense, too, in different ways that they play. So, like I said, chemistry can be good with teammates. Effort can be great. Unselfishness with the ball. Doing what it takes to show, like, great character and leadership, which is everything that Mike Conley brings to a team. But the process of consistently doing the things right when it comes to those little things and the way that this team plays, it could be a really big difference maker. And the, the Quinn Snyder way of doing things 
is all about precision, detail, accuracy, execution. You know, when it's running the right way on either end, you can see just how much those inches and instincts play a part in what's going on. When it's, when it's running the right way, many of his teams have been able to overachieve in the past. So if those inches are that important when it turns out positive, if they're not polished by a guy playing the point guard position, you're going to have some results that are going to be mixed. And, and I'll be honest, I expected that a bit this year, but it did take Mike a little longer than I had thought originally. And so up to this point of the year, Conley was a guy that wasn't necessarily hurting his team with the Jazz, but he wasn't making a big positive difference like we thought. Now, with the way he's played lately, you feel that might be a bit different, right? I mean, I was on the, the drive with Spence Checkets this week. He asked me what I'm most confident about when looking at the Utah Jazz and their hopes to get out of the first round. And my answer is easy. It's Mike Conley starting to look more like what we expected. I think that time off during the suspension of the season paid off for him with it, what he was able to study. Jazz fans should be excited that, that he appears to have made the most of it. Still plenty of, uh, uh, for him to learn. A lot of growth and connection needed in the future, but the recent play has been encouraging. I mean, his stats are obvious. His stats are all up, all of that. He had 23-7-5 the other day against Memphis. You take that anytime, anytime. He's averaging right around 20 points a game since the restart, but the biggest positive is how he's been able to do it. Shooting pretty well. Decisions are coming with more confidence and understanding, big picture about what he's doing. Uh, with the offense and how he's affecting it. Um, I, I feel like he's looking more like Mike Conley. Because remember, when the Jazz went with Rubio out and Conley in, that was to try to get this team to a step closer than they would have been, you know, towards championship contention. And I, I don't know if that's going to happen this year. With everything that's been going on, with the matchups in the postseason, the, the loss of Boyan, lack of depth off the bench, uh, the number of other really good teams in the West, but you at least like to see him play this way because it's what you wanted to see when you acquired him. You know, it's what you thought he could do when you picked him up. And if it doesn't lead to better contention this year, then if you can be healthy next year, you really start to feel good about the strides that he can take to, you know, solidify more of those habits. Because while Mike Conley played with so much of that grit and grind in Memphis and Memphis prided itself on all of that when he was there, now he's been able to keep that grit, but lately he's minimized the grind. So enjoy the matinees and enjoy the weekend as well. This has been the Tony Parks Podcast. Thanks for subscribing and following the show. You can always email me, TonyParks801 at gmail.com. The show is available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and more. And of course, you can catch the show right here on the Utah Podcast Network.